Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 11. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 1. Now, some people are scared to read the book of Revelation because they think, oh, it's about the end of the world. Now, the book does talk about the end of the world. It actually talks about a lot of things. But the book is not called the revelation of the end of the world. It's the revelation of Jesus. And what is revelation? Revelation is a revealing. Now, if you were ever to go to a production, you go to the Fox Theater, and they have a great curtain in front of the stage— and then someone pulls back that curtain and it reveals the set and all the actors. You know, that set and actors didn't magically appear when they moved the curtain. It was already there. But when they moved the curtain, they just revealed what was already there. One of the primary purposes of the book of Revelation is to reveal to you who Jesus is. See, Revelation chapter 1 verse 11 Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Go to Hebrews 13. Excuse me, Hebrews 12. So he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning of the Greek alphabet and the ending. He said, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, before we go there, let's go back to Revelation. So you can jump around today, Pastor? Uh, looks like I am. Let's see. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Notice what some of these angelic creatures are singing in heaven. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, or the all-powerful God, which was and is, and is to come, which was at the beginning, which will be at the end, but that means he's also in the middle. See, I want to talk to you today about the God of the middle. You see, Hebrews 12 says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed or surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. So Hebrews chapter 11 was talking about those cloud of witnesses, people who won and overcame by faith. Everybody in Hebrews chapter 11, they all had issues. None of them were perfect, but they beat these situations of life because they had faith in God. And it's our faith that brings the systems and the situation of this world to its knees, it says in 1 John. But they were surrounded by these faith champions. And see, a lot of times, you know, you know when you think about the people who've gone to heaven, they're in heaven. They have lives in heaven. They have lifestyles and different things they do in heaven. But one of the things Hebrews chapter 11 shows just in our everyday life that every believer who's gone to heaven, that they watch our lives and they're cheering us on. So have you ever gone to a track meet and you saw stadiums filled with people cheering? That when you're living your life, you're walking by faith, you're running this faithful life, you're making that corner, you're getting kind of tired, you don't really want to push it. See, my oldest daughter did track this year and I was a, you know, my mom was laughing because I became the sports dad. 
because you can hear me in the video. Push it, push it. Come on, don't get tired. Push it, push it. You can do it. Keep going. No, don't get tired. Keep pushing. Come on, you can do the hurdle. You know, she was leaping a hurdle. And I'm like, ooh, I'm glad that's not me. Because if I was leaping the hurdle, I don't know how many I would make it over. But she was clearing those hurdles. She was running the track, and I'm cheering her on. You have to understand that every hero in the Bible is cheering you on the same way. Abraham saying, keep going, keep pushing. Peter saying, you can do it, keep moving. John saying, hey, he loves you, keep running. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David and Isaiah, they're in heaven cheering you on. Mary and Deborah and Esther up there cheering you on. And the thing is, they hand it off to us, this race. And at the end of a track race, you have your anchor. You have the person who you know who can bring it home. So you just don't put anyone at the end of the race. You put someone at the end of the race who can make up for lost time. So just in case someone else fell behind or someone else who got beat, the, the person at the end of the race can make up for lost time. And we are the ones who live in the last days. Jesus is coming soon. We live at the end of time. And they handed off the baton of faith to us. God picked you to live at the end of the world. How special are you? God has more faith in you than you have in yourself. So thinking and knowing this, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily beset. So weights aren't sin. There can be things in your life that God says put aside. Doesn't mean it's sin. It just means it's not for you. Or there's some things to tell you to put aside for a season. Now, some people, you know, God would tell them to put this aside and they make a doctrine out of it. So no one can do this. No, God told you not to do it. Put aside the weight. But also every sin that so easily besets. Every single person may have a different sin that easily besets. It's a sin that kind of trips you up more than the next person. That's why you don't judge people for how they sin. That's just a sin that easily besets. Now, every person is born under the fallen Adamic nature before they're born again. And so in the fallen Adamic nature, there is a sin in your flesh, in your nature, that easily besets. It can become, just because of how you are wired as an individual, it could become because of the sins of your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, someone in your line. It could be things that were done to you as a child, things you've encountered in life, and there's something that always trips you up. But the writer of Hebrews says, let it lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily beset. Why? That we can run with patience. That word means endurance. The race that is set before us. See, I'm a runner. The way I exercise during the week outside of lifting is I run. And so I took a break from running one time. And coming back, I couldn't run like I used to. I needed to build my endurance again. Because I, I was at a point where I could run 5Ks like it was nothing. I took a long break. And I went outside and running. And I hadn't even got half a mile yet. Like, whew, something's different. So what did I do? I started at one mile. The next day I ran a little bit more, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. Kept increasing until I built my endurance so I can keep running. So he's saying run with endurance. Don't get tired. This is not a sprint. The lifestyle of faith is not a sprint. It is a lifestyle for your life. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Not to the person running your left. Person running right. Stop looking at their lanes. It's not your lane. Stay in your lane. 
see, that's the thing is why you can't compare yourself to someone else. They're not running your race. Look to Jesus, not the person running on your left or the right. See, there's no room for comparison in the kingdom of God because God has called you to do what you're called to do and he calls someone else. The only thing you should compete with is the call on your life, not your brother and sister to the next of you. See, the thing is you shouldn't compare yourself to someone else because you got the same daddy. If you're in the kingdom of God, God is your father. He's the father of every single person who names the name of Jesus. You have the same father. Stop comparing yourself with the other brothers and sisters. Look unto Jesus, the author or the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. In other words, also the developer of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, think ye little, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So that you don't become overwhelmed, as we talked about earlier, so that you don't faint in your minds, you have to look at Jesus. Don't look at your circumstance. Don't look at your situation. Don't look at someone running on your left or your right. Look at Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. If he's going to finish it, he has to be involved in the middle. Go to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Acts 16. We're going to look at verse 6. And then we'll read in another translation. So this is Paul, his ministry team, it's Timothy, it's Silas. Luke's joined, just joined them. So at least it's four guys going to do the mission God has called them to do. And it says, And they went through the region of Fergus and Galatia, that's modern-day Turkey, the middle of Turkey, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of Asia. And when they had come to Messiah, this is the north part of Turkey, they attempted to go to Bithynia, which is northeast Turkey. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troy. Now, when we read through these names of the cities, they mean nothing to us. How many say, that city just really spoke something to my spirit? Galatia. No, that means nothing to you because you're not from ancient Turkey. But when you look at where those cities are on the map, this couple of verses just explained they walked over 400 miles not knowing where they're going. 400 miles. And it's not like we drove 400 miles. They walked 400 miles on 18 roads. Tough terrain. It's not like they stopped at a Four Seasons every time they got tired. They may be camping by the side of an ancient road. They're walking over 400 miles, not knowing where they're going. They get to an area and say, yeah, let's go here. And the Holy Ghost says, no, you can't go there. And it almost seems counterproductive because, you know, God called us to go in all the world. But the Holy Spirit, not to, don't go into that part of the world yet. So then they go somewhere else. They go a few other hundred miles. Let's go here. And the Holy Ghost says, eh, don't do that. 
And so, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Chris Palmer, he's preached here before, he's a Greek scholar, he's taking all these Greek classes, all these advanced degrees. And so if there's a certain Greek word I want to get some information about, I call him, and we were talking on the phone, I was driving to work the other day, and we were talking about some of the words here. And because you see a phrase or a name the Holy Spirit has here and in Peter's writings, the Spirit of Jesus. It doesn't just mean the Spirit of Jesus, it means the Spirit that comes from Jesus. So, you know, people go, well, why did the Holy Ghost not just tell them in the beginning, just go here? Now, that would be great, but that's not always how the Holy Ghost operates. He doesn't give you steps A through Z. He may just give you A, or half of A, and say, get to moving. But as they were walking around, I was talking to Chris on the phone, he says, you know, people would ask, you know, why would the Holy Spirit have them walk around this whole area? And I said, well, maybe he just wanted them to get their steps in. He's like, what? They, they had a Fitbit? They needed steps? Yeah, you know. Maybe the Holy Ghost wanted them to get their steps in. And I say, Pastor, that just sounds crazy. They didn't have a Fitbit back then. But think about it this way. There are some things you learn in the middle. There are some things they learned as they were walking around. They didn't understand why he didn't say, do this, do there. They're still trying to figure out in their natural mind. But as they were getting their steps in, they weren't by themselves. It says the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit that comes from Jesus. So Luke was saying in his writing, proving to the person he was writing to, that although it's Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, Jesus himself was right there in the middle of them. So although they were getting their steps in, so was Jesus. Paul's Fitbit is clacking up 10,000 steps today, and so is Jesus. The basic promise of the gospel is your God is with you. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? He says, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And so you might say, well, I've never walked around modern-day Turkey or ancient Turkey. I haven't walked around 400 miles. But have you ever gone through life not knowing where you're going? You're doing your best to follow God, going here, going this. I think God wants me to do this. I think going that. You're trying to find what balance actually is. If balance actually exists, you know, parents, you know, okay, cool. I have to make sure my kids don't go crazy. I need to raise them in the things of God. Oh, I got to go to work. I got to do this. Oh, I knew I, I need to hit the gym, man. Did I have enough water today? Did I eat vegetables, this and this? You're maintaining all these things. You're trying to go forward, but at some times you're like, am I actually going forward? Can I actually see straight? And see, even all those days where it seems cloudy, where it seems like you're just doing day and day and routine after routine, your Jesus is with you. You are not in this by yourself. He is walking with you every single step of the way. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not ashamed of you. You read through the book of Hebrews, it says he's not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. You might think, well, I've had some rough days. You know, you don't know, Pastor, all that I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. I just know Jesus is not ashamed of you. To such a point, he bore your shame. Well, Pastor, what does it mean? Whatever Jesus bore, we have the responsibility of resisting. So if he bore your shame, you resist it. He bore your sin, so you resist sin. He bore your sickness, so you resist sickness. He bore your shame, so you have no right to feel ashamed of anything. Well, pastor, you don't know what I did in my past. You don't know my sin, but I know the blood of Jesus. 
If you ask God to forgive you, he forgave you and forgot it and tossed it as far as east is from the west. God does not remember your sin, your shortcomings, or what you are ashamed of. If he dealt with your guilt and shame, you have no right to be guilty or to feel guilty. See, God's not going to make you feel guilty. If he convicts you, he's going to convict you and then say, hey, you're not doing right. But it's not to give you shame or guilt. It just turn around and go a different direction. The enemy and religious people will bring shame and guilt. And you feeling ashamed or guilty about whatever you did is not going to propel you to go forward. It's going to keep you frozen where you are. You see, some people have an issue, whatever issue is going on in their life. And I used this example before, and so like I built a fire on stage. You know, it really caused my director of administration to be really concerned on the inside. Because I put a stack of wood right here, you know, I surrounded it with some stones, and I had a lighter in my hands. He kept getting more concerned as this example went on. And some people in the congregation got concerned too, like, what is pastor doing? And so, no, I'll pretend I said, imagine the fire is lit. It is a raging fire that people can't control. And sometimes people think they can control their shortcomings and their sin and what they feel ashamed about by throwing guilt on it. So to take, put it out of fire is the same as taking a bucket of ice and throwing it on the fire. It may dampen the fire for a moment, but soon that thing is coming back. Your guilt is not a solution. Your shame is not a solution. You walking with Jesus is the solution. See, the thing is, you may look back at where the problem started, and you're looking at when the problem's going to end, but in the middle, the God of the middle is with you. He's not leaving you by yourself to figure it out. So, well, when you figure it out, you can come back to me. He's like, no, I'm walking with you every single step of the way. He said, we can go through this process as quick as you want to go. So if you're dragging your feet, don't think Jesus is slowing down your progress. It's you slowing down your progress. We said, well, if you want to go slow, I'll go slow with you. If you want to speed this up and get on your faith, I'll speed it up with you. He's with you. The Psalms goes, if I make my bed in hell, he's with me. So even on your worst days, he's with you. On your good days, he's with you. On your in-between days, he's with you. On the days when he's still trying to figure it out, he's with you. Go to Psalm 23. Say, my God is with me. See, a lot of times we think, so let's say we're believing God for something. We think about when the trouble shows up. We think about the victory on the other side. But we forget that God is still doing stuff for us in the middle. When we look at the word for save, yes, it means save, deliver, and healed, but also means to preserve. That in the middle of all your junk and your mess and your trial, God has been preserving you. That the only way you make it to your miracles is because God was faithful enough to get you there. That you're thinking about, you might have a big financial need. You're thinking, about, man, God, I need all of this. But somehow all the small stuff keeps getting met, but you missed it because you're focusing on the wrong thing. And so why is the small stuff being met? Because he's faithful and he's been preserving you before you even get to your harvest. He's the preserver. He's preserving you. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteous for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through. Say through. You notice it didn't say camp out and build a resort. Walk 
through the valley of a shadow of death. I will fear no evil. You will go through life. You will go through the valley of shadow of death. I wish I could tell you once you become a Christian, everything becomes perfect. Everything's just amazing. You're just skipping through the flowers of Jesus. That would be amazing, but it'd be a lie. You know, you're not delivered from running into any problems. You just promise victory before you get to the problem. So going through the valley of the shadow of death, things may look dark. Things may look bad. But it's just a shadow. When's the last time a shadow hurt you? This is not Peter Pan. The shadow can't do all these things on his own and pick up stuff. It's the valley of the shadow. So yeah, there's death right there. It's casting a shadow. Your job is to keep walking. He said, whoa, it's dark. Stop looking at the shadow. Look at the guy walking with you. Because when you look at this, it says that in the place where there's a valley of darkness, you read in the New Testament, light sprung up. So there is light emanating from the person who's leading you through the valley. Notice it's through. Not just leading you where you, oh, there's the valley. Oh, there's the other side of the valley. He's going to take you through. You might say, well, I've been in this valley a long time. Look at your faith confession. Look at your actions and look at the words of your mouth and your thought process. And see, is it really Jesus who's kept you in the shadow? Or has it been your actions? And the thing is, because he's faithful, he's right there with you. So if you want to build Four Seasons Valley of the Shadow of Death, you can do it. Jesus will be one of your occupants in the hotel. But you don't have to stay there. If you follow his leading, he's leading you through. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, the thing is, most of us wouldn't feel comfortable sitting down at a feast, which is what this implies, where all the people who want to kill us surround us. Because the thing is, if people are surrounding you, your enemies, they want to kill you, your haters, they want to stop you, you're not going to sit down and enjoy some food, right? You're thinking about defending yourself. You're thinking about fighting. The only reason you'll feel comfortable enough to sit down and enjoy a meal is because you believe the person who prepared the feast is strong enough to defend you while you eat. See, the thing is, while all your haters surround you, all your circumstances that are breathing down your neck, looking like they're going to take you out, you can enjoy the goodness of the table God has provided because you have faith that God is going to take care of you. And the thing is, some people pray like, God, get rid of all my haters. You need an audience when God blesses you. It says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs it over. It's all about overflowing buttons. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, like what Minister Dathan says, he's an like, entourage. Everywhere I go, goodness and mercy is following me. See, if you ever get discouraged by what's in front of you, just know Jesus is still leading you, and then turn around and see the goodness and the mercy. Every single day of your life, there's goodness there, and there's mercy there. One of the translations of mercy means his steadfast love or his loyal loving kindness. It is God's covenant desire to bless you. That God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed yourself. God has a covenant desire to bless you. That's why he walks through you through everything. He's trying to lead you to the blessed spot. But sometimes we act like we know everything. 
And so God says, I'm going to pour out the blessing right here. And we're like, well, I know better, so I'm going to stand right here. You can do all the faith confessions you want. You can shout and dance all you want. You can run around the building. You can pray in tongues all you want. You can quote as many scriptures as you want. But until your genius self gets over there, you're not going to experience the blessing. And it has nothing to do with does God love me or not. It has nothing to do with God good or not. A lot of people stay over here and say, well, this faith stuff doesn't work. No, faith works in the place of obedience. And everything Jesus do, as he's standing by your side, he's trying to lead you to the blessed spot. It's like David said, he's leading me to a place where I do not lack. It's the place of obedience. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go to the book of Daniel. Let's begin to bring this to a close. Well, at least I think we're closing. We'll see. You know, I learned to say a long time ago, don't say I think it's going to be a short message today because every time I did that, it was exceedingly long. So I was like, I'm just not going to say nothing about the length of the message. And when the Holy Ghost says, I'm done, eh, I'm done. Book of Daniel. You know, I really think that Daniel's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He has such a unique story. You know, Judah eventually left God multiple times. They came back to God multiple times. Eventually they left and the prophet said, judgment's going to come and this is what the judgment's going to be. The door is open, the enemy will invade, and they'll take people captive. Sure enough, it came to pass just like God said it was going to happen. And what they did was Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army went in and found the best of the best the sons of the princes, the nobles, those who had the highest education, those who looked the best, and they took them back to Babylon in a very different type of foreign exchange program. Now, Daniel and his three friends, who we know by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were about 15 when they were taken from their home. These weren't adults. These weren't grown men. These were teenagers, sophomores in high school, taken from their home because their home has been destroyed by an enemy. So as they're taking them back to Babylon in modern day Iraq you know they get there and they go through this training process and you know Daniel says because they want them to eat the food that the king wants them to eat and because it's been sacrificed to false gods and involved a whole bunch of things and involves rituals that Daniel said we're not going to participate in. So that he told the guy who was in charge and says hey you know, just give us some vegetables and some water. It wasn't because he wanted to have a special diet and Daniel was trying to, you know, get a six-pack. That wasn't the whole reason behind it. It was just because, hey, we're not going to participate with the things of the gods of Babylon. You guys already changed our names after the gods of Babylon. That's enough. And so Daniel tells the, king, uh, the person in charge this, and the person in charge is like, if I don't feed you this, the king is going to kill me. But Daniel says, here's a test for 10 days. Let us eat this. We're going to look better than everybody else. And he says, here's the test 10 days. And after 10 days, Daniel and his three friends were healthier than everybody else. So the, the guy said, Yo, Daniel, whatever you want is yours because he had favor with them, the Bible says. And so as they got to the end of their training period, says, Daniel and his three friends were found better and 10 times smarter than everybody else. So they began to excel and climb through the ranks in Babylon. But, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was a very interesting guy. 
See, we like to com complain about political leaders on both sides of the aisle. None of them hold a candle to Nebuchadnezzar. That brother. Some days, he would do what's right. Other days, he did what was crazy. There would be days he would praise God, and the other days he'd praise himself. One day he woke up with the idea, he's like, you know what? I want to build a giant statue of me. And I want it to be all gold. And here's the best part. We're going to play some music, and anytime the beat drops, people got to bow down. And so all his yes men around him said, that sounds like a great idea, king. And so that was the plan. And so Daniel's somewhere else, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember, they are officials in Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet. They have prominent positions. So the music plays, the beat drops, everyone bows down. That's why you have to make sure, pay attention to what you listen to, because some music is designed to make you bow, but that's another message. And they bow down, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do-do-do-do-do, awkward. And the report gets back to the king and says, you know those three Hebrew boys you brought here? You played the song, they didn't bow. And so Nebuchadnezzar is hot, but he likes these three guys. So he calls them in to his throne room. And he said, you know, it's, I heard a rumor, you know. I saw this tweet. And I'm not sure it's true, but you know what? I just want to make sure. It was told me. I'm sure the reporter's wrong. That when I played my song, he didn't bow down to my statue. Now, I'm going to give you another chance. We're about to drop the beat one more time. <laughs> if you bow down, we cool. I forget it even happened in the first place. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace because what God can deliver you from my hands. So this is what he tells them. Verse 16 of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. So we're not even cautious in this answer. If it be so, now a lot of people will preach this the wrong way because they think, what is the if it be so? If you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. You ask who, our God can. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. See, at least he was respectful with it. But if not, not if God won't deliver, but if, if you don't throw us in. That is the question at hand. These three guys were never concerned about will God deliver me or not. They said their faith statement, our God will deliver us, O king. But if you don't throw us in, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship that golden statue that you set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his vicious was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times hotter. That makes no sense. The first fire is already going to kill you. Seven times hotter is just not going like to kill you extra. It's still going to kill you. So the fire was heated so hot 
Like, the king has a strong guards to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and toss them in, but the heat was so intense, it killed the guards. So Nebuchadnezzar is watching the fiery furnace. I know he's expecting to hear screams. I know he's expecting to see him burning. But after a while, he was, no screams, no yells. And so he starts watching. And I'm like, oh, well, this is strange. This is the strangest reality TV show I've ever watched. I said, you know, one, two, three. No, 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 it can't be. Mm-hmm. And so he's tripping, and he goes, advisors come in. They say, yeah, king. I said, didn't we throw three guys in? They said, yeah, king, three guys. He said, then why do I see a fourth? And that fourth one looks like the son of God. See, Nebuchadnezzar threw three in. But because these fellas served the God who's the God of the middle, when they threw the three in, Jesus hurled himself through time and space from the throne of God and got right in the fire with his people. In the middle of the mess. In the middle of the fire. Now they're walking around unburnt because the God of the middle is with them. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, hey guys, come on out because he's like, I ain't getting close. I saw what happened to the last guys who got close. See, I like what Oral Roberts said. He says, the guys who they died because they were not made of the right stuff. See, some people will faint because of things they go through, but if you're made of the right stuff, it won't take you out. And see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got out of the fire, and it says they examined them. The ropes burned off but their clothes weren't burned. Their hair didn't even smell like smoke. See, a lot of you just focus on going through, but God's going to take you through to a place that you don't even look like what you went through. You see, you have to understand from the story, if you don't bow, you won't burn. If you bow, you will burn. But if you don't bow, you can't burn. Because the God of the middle is with you. So they didn't compromise. They didn't bow down because when you're going through the valley of the shallow death, the enemy will offer you alternatives. So you have to understand when you're climbing the mountain of success or the mountain of your career, whatever you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. But whatever you bow down to, climbing up the mountain will rule you when you get to the top. So these three guys decided not to bow. They decided not to compromise. They said in faith, our God will deliver us, O king. And their God did deliver them in front of the king. And then the king says, there's no God like your God. Anybody talks bad about your God, they got to deal with me. But I ain't saying something bad about him. And then he promoted them. See, the thing is, the God of the middle will get you to the other side and cause you to be promoted on the other side. And when you get there, you don't even look like what you've been through. A lot of people who don't know your story, a lot of haters say, oh, you've never been through anything hard in your life. Just smile. It's a testimony of the goodness of God that you don't look like what you've been through. See, you you might tell them, you don't know all the mountain ranges that are in my path, but the faith of God removed that mountain and cast them into the sea. That's why I don't look what I've been through because my faith is in my God's ability, not what I can do with the works of my own hands. And you have faith knowing that Jesus is with you every single step of the way. 
Well, pastor, what if I die? I told you earlier. Your worst case scenario, Christian, is you go to heaven early. That is your worst case scenario. You know, as a Christian, when you die, you won't feel it. Paul says Jesus took away the sting of death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? For the Christian, death has no sting. When you die, you won't feel it. All of a sudden, it's like, man, you know, I feel a lot better. Oh, look, I'm flying. Dun, dun, dun. And your angel will escort you into heaven. You're not going to feel it because Jesus took the sting of death for you. So that's why we shouldn't be afraid of death. Because for the Christian, death is just the uber to glory. So don't focus on death. Please don't. Focus on life. You know, there is a heaven, and if you're following Jesus, you will go there. But while you're still on the earth, don't focus on going to heaven. Focus on bringing heaven to earth. And see, when you walk with God, even going through the middle, you understand that he wants heaven to invade earth. That's always been God's plan to dwell with his man, to dwell with his people. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. This has always been his plan. You read the end of the book of Revelation, you know, we, when we do die or when we get raptured, we are going to heaven, but we're not going to stay in heaven forever because heaven, the city of New Jerusalem, because, you know, New Jerusalem is a city, heaven's a planet, but that's another message. It says New Jerusalem, the capital of heaven, is coming to earth. God's going to bring heaven to earth. That's always been God's plan, to bring heaven to earth. Jesus told us to pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're not supposed to experience heaven the first time when you get there. You're supposed to experience heaven on the earth. That when you pray while you walk with God, you're bringing some of heaven every single day to earth. So don't think your God has forgotten you. Don't be overwhelmed with what you're facing. Because you're not in this by yourself. Your Jesus is with you. It's the basic promise of the gospel. See, as it seems like you're just walking around getting all your steps in, just know Jesus is getting his steps in with you. He loves you. Even when you're faithless, he will be faithful because he cannot deny himself. Like, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. How can't deny himself? Why does that have to do with me? When you became a believer, 1 Corinthians 6 says you were joined to the Lord. You're one with him. He can't deny you because he can't deny him. That's how close you are with him. For example, for teaching purposes, he lives within us because he lives within our spirit. But you're one with him. He's never going to leave you. He said, Pastor, I screwed up big yesterday. He's still with you. Now, it should affect your thinking of holiness because while you do whatever crazy you do, Jesus is standing right there. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I would talk to my youth, and I says, guys, you know, don't pick today to go crazy. Because any moment, Jesus come back and said, keep this in your thinking. Because, you know, it says in the, in the New Testament that whoever has the hope of Jesus returning in their mind will keep themselves pure. It's very simple. It's not deep. Why would they keep themselves pure if they think any moment Jesus could visibly come back? So I would, you know, I mess with them. I said, this is the day you decide. It's like, you know, I'm not going to smoke anything, but, you know, something was rough. So it's like, I'm just going to smoke some weed. It's okay. 
And that's the day you go, dun da da. How are you gonna explain that? That that's that's not what it looks like, Jesus. I didn't inhale. And then I would go a little bit further. I said, no, you guys need to keep yourself till you get married. But that day you decided just to go for it. Pants are going down, belts are coming off. Da da da! Jesus, that's not what it looks like. So you have that hope when you think that Jesus could come back at any moment, and he could. But also you should have that mentality because he's always with you. You know, it's not like you can hide stuff from him. It's like, oh, he doesn't, no, God didn't see that. Yeah, he did. But you know what the thing is? God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And the thing is, Jesus did such a good job on the cross. He covered all your sins, past, present, and future. So when you sin or you do something stupid, you do something crazy, you can just come to God and say, hey, God, I blew it. That was wrong. Forgive me. The Bible says if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. So how do you judge yourself? He says, what I did was wrong. God, forgive me and help me to live better. You judged yourself and you canceled what the enemy could do to you. Have this mentality. Jesus is walking with you. He's not interested in you staying where you are. He's always taking you further. He's taking you higher. He's taking you to a better place. But you have to walk with him so that you can get there. That means it's a daily relationship. It means you read the word every day, not out of habit. Oh, I just got to read the Bible today. Something, something. Uh. Oh, no, 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 the Bible. No, you read it because Jesus is talking to you. You pray because you're talking to him. You spend time in praise and worship because you're just thankful for him. And there'll be days you spend time in prayer and he won't say anything specifically to you. Oh, pastor, what do I do? I didn't hear anything. Live your life. He knows how to talk when he wants to. You take time to hear from him every day and he'll talk to you throughout the day. He'll point out stuff to you throughout the day. And it's not going to be because he's going to appear and say, I am Jesus. No, the majority of the way he's going to lead you is to the still small voice. In here you have a peace. In here you have a knowing. He's going to lead you because that's who he is. He is the good shepherd. And he's leading us to a place of no lack. In Isaiah 48, 17 says that the Lord, our redeemer, is the one who teaches us how to profit and leads us in the way that he should go. So if you have any financial concerns in here, just know your God will teach you how to profit. He said, some of you were very religious. Oh, that word can't mean profit. It actually does. I looked it up in Hebrew. It's like, I need another word for it. It means gain. So whether you want to profit or gain, God will lead you how to do it. And he'll show you where to go. Follow him. Stop imagining God some way far, 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 far away. He's right there with you. So, well, how close is he? Well, if you could look down on the inside of you, you see him. To walk with Jesus on a high level, you have to become God inside-minded. No, you ain't God. Never think that you're God. Please don't. But God lives on the inside of you. He's not far away at all. He's with you wherever we go. That's why we call his name Emmanuel. God with us. 
I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. Now, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.